0: God, I don't know how long we're going to, far we're going to get tonight, but we're going to give it a whirl. Hallelujah. We don't have any place to go till Jesus comes anyway. All right. Hallelujah. Let's start a, a few things back here in the process. Realize that we are talking about eight time frames that are taking place. It is the present time. This is the time of the church. People that believe in once saved, always saved, need to read Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and see that Jesus is going to spew people out of his mouth, cast them into hell, and he said he was pleased with them. Yeah, there goes once saved, always saved. Anyway, and uh, I know sometimes it's frightening that you're responsible and are called into accountability. And then there is this time period that we just discussed, that we talked about the uh, seals that were released and how devastating that they are on planet Earth. Then we entered into the seven trumpets. The seven trumpets we did not quite finish because we ended right here at this little time frame between uh, the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And then we're going to get in tonight, hopefully, we're going to get into the personages. This has to do with uh, identities. This really has to do with people or beings that are... Uh, active in this time frame remember when we come up to this time frame this is I'm going to take a guess 12,060 days from the rapture of the church to this time right here this is three and a half years in the middle of the three and a half years there is a war in heaven where Satan is cast out and in this three and a half year tribulation period it is the great tribulation such as has never touched nor could ever be imagined by man this takes place at a time that we'll look at in scripture tonight then after the great after the uh, war and all that this becomes another part of the great tribulation this are the seven dooms this comes into the reign of christ and this comes into all the news that happened after the thousand year millennium now We have been talking about the time frame of the rapture of the church. And, uh, of course, there are different concepts about the church, different time frames. But the time frame is not the doctrine of the church. The time frame to argue when it takes place, pre-trib, post-trib, whatever-trib, mid-trib, one-trib, 15-trib, is not even in doctrine. It's not even an argument. The argument that we defend as doctrine is the rapture of the church. The time frames cannot overthrow the faith of the doctrine. But Paul said that there were men that preached and said that the rapture had already taken place, overthrowing the faith of some. What does that mean? Anytime you erode sound doctrine, you are going to cause people to lose faith. Now, as we go into this time period... from the rapture of the church, there are two things that I want to bring back to your attention that take place from this period. This is a seven-year period clear to the millennial reign of Christ. This is a seven-year period. In this period, you have three, four, five, six time frames. God is dealing with man, the number of man. And so, in this time frame... We have these six time frames, but in the middle of this time frame doesn't mean that Jesus is not active. Jesus is very active. The church has an appointment taking place at this time. What takes place at this time from the rapture of the church, we aren't just up there sitting waiting for the battle of Armageddon or at the beginning of the millennium to begin. We are going through a process of transition and a process of preparation now if you turn your bibles to 2nd uh, corinthians 5 we're going to read from 1 through 12 2 corinthians this takes place at the rapture of the church now it's not said where it takes place but we do know that it takes place in this seven year time period and when we look at this we're going to see that what we all know as the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. Now, I know that we would say, but we're not judged and we've been forgiven. Yes, we have been forgiven, but there are many things that we have forgotten to repent of, and there are many things that we have not forgiven people of, and there are many things that we've done on purpose that we should never have been involved in. And God's grace has covered us, and that's found where Jesus maketh intercession for many of us, and Jesus intercedes for us because the Bible says in 1 John, the 5th chapter, there is a sin that I tell you to pray for that that man will not be hindered by that sin. But then Jesus says, but there is a sin that is unto death. That is a sin that a man is revealed, that he has committed, and he rebels and refuses to repent of. Jesus said, I tell you, do not pray for that type of sin. But there are many sins that we have, as David called them, hidden sins. Now, that doesn't mean that you are to walk around condemned and say, oh, I need to get rid of all these hidden sins. No, you need to live right where you're at, because if you were able to get rid of them, they would have already been revealed. But because of the grace and mercy of God, Jesus doesn't reveal things to you that you spiritually and emotionally and by faith cannot overcome or you're responsible. Thank God for mercy and grace. Now, this is over and it, it is across the board. It happens to everybody. Well, well, you know, I know, no, no. If it happened from Billy Graham on down, just know that nobody's perfect but Jesus. And so Jesus is interceding for us and his mercy keeps us and protects us. Because we are committing sins unknowingly. And I'm, I'm sure that, you know, probably in the last 12 years, I've committed one. But that's right. That's a joke. That'd be like you not committing one. Yeah, right. Well, we all commit these because we really don't see them as sin. And there are sins that we just simply are not aware of. And there are sins that God doesn't reveal to us because we are spiritually unable to deal with them and to address them. And so Jesus, in His grace and mercy, prays and He covers us in those. Now, Second Corinthians, the fifth chapter, and let's look at verse 1. We're going to go through 12. For we know that if our earthly uh, house, this tent, is destroyed, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And it says, and in this we groan, earnestly desiring, excuse me, to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. Our great desire is that this earthly puts off its earthliness and we put on our immortality or incorruption. And it says this, and if indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further, clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who hath prepared us for this very thing is God, who also having given us a spirit, as a his spirit as a guarantee, and we are as always confident, knowing that while we are at home in this body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, as we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to him. That is our aim. Always live by faith to please God. And it says we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're going to appear there. It must exist right? Now, Paul's not writing to anybody. If you go to Second Corinthians, the first chapter, we'll just look who Paul is writing to. In Second uh, Corinthians 1, 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and of Timothy, our brother, to the church of God. Somebody say, not to the world. Somebody say, to the church. All right, so we know that he's writing to people that are saved that have things in their lives that must be dealt with in order for them to be granted the fullness of the robe of righteousness. Yep, hallelujah. And then it says this, that, uh, that we receive a, in the seat of Christ that each one, somebody say each one. Each one. Oh, that's all inclusive. We all going to be there. Yep, not just me, not just the week, not the babies. Even in all of your spiritual pride, you're going to be there. Yep, hallelujah. Well, I'm not like one of them, said the Pharisee. Yeah, and it says this, Receive the things that are done in the body according to what he hath has done, whether good or bad. So the uh, judgment seat is to receive rewards, but it's also to be cleansed by fire knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves again unto you, but give you the opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not. In heart now what did Paul just say he says that we need to make sure that we clean up as much as we possibly know about because of the terror of the Lord because when you get there you know what he does to those that are displeasing to him depart from me ye workers of iniquity you know the reward of those that do not use their talents to produce for Christ Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. Cast them into the outer darkness. Now, God loves us, and he's going to take us through the fire, but we need to understand that there is a balance of terror of the Lord. I don't want to be afraid of God. You would do good to be afraid of the Lord, knowing that what he said he requires of people. Now, this is not a fearful thing, but you have to understand, you can't just go through life and say, well, it's going to be okay, it's covered by grace. Oh, no, no. You, We have to understand the terror of the Lord. The terror of the Lord is the rejection of an individual. And since we know that does happen to those that are even proclaiming that they belong to Christ, Those that are doing God's will, those that have been prospered, those that have been blessed, but the misuse or the change of character, the misuse of wealth, the presumption that it belongs to you and not to God, listen, nobody knows where that line is. So we must walk in a fearful state of the Lord. Be in awe of His grace and mercy, but be in awe if you reject to live what He asks you to live. I'm trying to make it as simple as I can. You say, oh, I just don't think God is that. Okay, then you you can tear that page out of your Bible. But now let's go to 1 Corinthians 3. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 3.10. I want to be accepted of the Lord, amen? And I believe that I am. But I'm also every day judging myself. He that judges himself will not be judged by the world. That's in my Bible. Some Bibles don't have that, but my Bible has that. So, uh, you know, praise God. And, uh, you know, we're working on getting that Bible, that personal Bible for everybody. And, but what we need for you to do is turn in all of the scriptures that you hate so we can make sure we take them out before we get your Bible printed. Yeah. <laughs> all right. 1 Corinthians 3.10. Leonard, is your church this quiet? Is your church this quiet? Oh, there, are listening. Okay. Yeah, that was... Said that, yeah, said the Pharisee, all right. Now, let's look. No. First Corinthians 3, 10, it says, "...it's according to the grace of God, which I was given to me as a master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let every man take heed how he builds on, for no other foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now if anyone build on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and stubble. There are 3 things that are eternal, there are 3 things that are not eternal. 3 things that are acceptable, 3 things that are not acceptable. And it says this, and if any man lack, if any man's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire it says do you not know that you are the temple of god and that the spirit of god dwells in you if any man defile the temple of god god will destroy him for the temple of god is holy which temple ye are and so we have to understand that there is a judgment seat of christ when does it take place we are not told when it takes place except that it takes place from the rapture of the church to the return of the millennial. We are those that return to Christ according to Jude. Go to Jude, the 14th chapter. Jude, the 14th chapter. This is a prophetic word by one of the uh, prophets that was a prophet or prophesied judgment upon the world. It's in Jude, the 14th chapter. Jude, oh, the 14th verse, I'm sorry. Hallelujah. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints. Somebody say, that's us. See, the word saint here is the end result of the total work of sanctification. Now, we are called saints But then Romans 1, 3, 4, and 5 says we are called to be saints. In other words, we are sanctified, but we are in the process of a continual sanctification. Sanctification is a three-stage thing. You're sanctified by the blood of Christ when you receive him as your personal Savior. It is a work of the Holy Ghost. And then you are sanctified through life by the Word. Jesus said in Ephesians, the fifth chapter through Paul, that we are clean by the word that Jesus uses to wash us, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church. That is a sanctified church. And then, in the end, we go through the process of the judgment seat of Christ to bring us to the fullness of sainthood and be robed in garments of white righteousness. All right, the second thing that takes place, if you'll go to Revelation, the 19th chapter. Revelation, the 19th chapter. Now, I do realize that there are people that say, well, you know, uh, I don't believe that we go to heaven. I don't believe that we're raptured. Well, that's great. You can believe whatever you want to believe. But when the church is judged, it is never judged on the earth. There is never a fire of judgment on planet earth. When Jesus comes to separate the goats and the sheep, there is no fire. There is just division. The goats are cast into an eternal lake or into eternal darkness. And then uh, when he takes the good vessels and the bad vessels, the good and the bad vessels are separated. The bad vessels are discarded. The good vessels are kept. The people here that are left here at the end of this seven-year time period will not be judged. They will be here. They will be a living people, flesh and blood. They will not go through the fire of judgment. They will be here in all of their weaknesses and shortcomings. They'll be here. And they will then, through the millennium, they will begin to repopulate the earth. And so they're not judged. So there is no judgment of any Christian on planet earth. And there is no judgment of any wicked upon planet earth there is simply a separation and that separation and that separation does not include fire the only place that fire is uh joined with judgment is during the judgment seat of christ and it is only to purify us from things that we have done whether good uh, whether bad or negligent or whatever or in ignorance Those things must be cleansed of us. And the judgment seat of Christ is the judgment seat of mercy. But you don't want to go there knowing that you've done wrong and thinking God's going to sweep it under the rug. Yeah, amen, hallelujah. Revelation, the 19th chapter, and let's look at verse 1 and 10. And after these things, I heard a loud voice saying... Oh, I'm sorry, a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belongs to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot whom corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has venged her on the blood on the on her blood of his servants shed by her. Against, they said, again, they said, Alleluia, and smoke arose forever and ever. And the twenty and four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God, who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, Alleluia. And then the voice came from the throne, saying, Praise our God and all ye his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. And I heard as if it were a voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God, one omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has been made ready, or made herself ready. That is the church. Could again, amen. That is the church, the bride of Christ. It is the bride of God, Jehovah, in the Old Covenant. And it says this, And to her it was granted to be arrayed in what? Fine linens. Hallelujah. As Esther was prepared, the church is prepared. And then it says, Clean and bright, for the fine linen is the what? Righteous acts of the saints hallelujah all unrighteousness that people bear i'm now now please understand i believe i'm the righteousness of god but i'm not stupid to understand that i'm working out righteousness with the help of the holy ghost i have not arrived i am a work and a, a son and a daughter and i am walking with him as christ did and i'm learning the rewards of obedience all right, and then it, then it goes down in verse 7, uh, I'm sorry, verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, and for fine linen is the righteousness, righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Right, blessed are those who are called to the married supper of the Lamb. Now where does the married supper of the Lamb take place? Well, Revelation says it takes place in heaven so how could there be a marriage supper of the lamb if people don't believe in the rapture how could there be a judgment seat of Christ if they don't believe in the rapture the kingdom now is an erroneous doctrine it is an erroneous doctrine the doctrine of the church is the great hope of the snatching or the catching away or the rapture of the church. Yes, hallelujah. And then it says this, and then he says in verse 10, and fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, see that thou do not do this, do that. I am your fellow servant of your younger brethren who have the testimony of Jesus Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So what takes place in this seven and a half years at the rapture of the church? Somebody say the judgment seat of Christ. We are not afraid of it. It is grace and mercy. But we also understand that there is a day of reckoning for those that knew not repent and those that willfully know they're in disobedience. Laziness nonchalantness, procrastination, not using your gift. Listen to me. Jesus, you, you say, oh, Jesus going to understand. Tell that to the guy. He said, throw him out in the darkness. You are that guy. Yes. Get about the Father's business. Amen. And then the marriage supper of the Lamb is what? Happens in the seven-year time period. Hallelujah. Somebody shout hallelujah. hallelujah. Now, here's where we are that we want to pick up with. Right here, we have seven trumpets. The second trumpet, then the third, uh, second tr- the sixth trumpet, and the seventh trumpet are woes from five, six, and seven. But in between six and seven, there is a lapse of time. Something takes place. It just stops. There is a time frame. It's not mentioned how long or anything else. And there are two things that take place between the number uh, six woe or the number six trumpet and the number or the third woe or the seven, number seven trumpet. What takes place is this lapse of time and something happens, a little black book. Anybody know what's in that black book? Nobody knows because it's not revealed. Let's go to, uh, wow, let's go to uh, Revelation, the 10th chapter. Revelation, the 10th chapter, and then let's find out about the little black book and the little black hand. And Revelation 10, 1 says, And I saw still another mighty angel mighty angel another mighty angel come down from heaven clothed with a cloud with a rainbow was on his head and his face was like the sun and his feet like pillars of fire anybody know who ain't what this angel is or who he is jesus this angel is Jesus Christ himself. Now, the way, the reason we know that, go to uh, Revelations 1. Go to Revelations 1 and keep your finger there because we're coming back. Revelations 1, 12 through 15. So this mighty angel is, yes, he is an angel, But he is Jesus Christ. That does not mean he's created. That means that he makes an appearance in an angelic form. That's what it means. And then uh, go to verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man clothed with a garment, down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head, was, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like flames of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. Notice, refined. Remember we read about the judgment seat of Christ? What did fire supposed to do? It refines or brings to the fullness the sanctification of sainthood. Somebody shout hallelujah so I know you heard me. All right. And his feet and refined in a furnace and his voice as a sound of many waters. So here we see that when this angel is clothed and his feet are like fire, that this refers to Jesus Christ. You can also find that in Revelations 5. Go to Revelations 5, 4 through 6. And again, this is an unveiling of Jesus. Revelations 5 and verse 5 and 6. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of Jesse of David, the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Now, if you go back to Revelations 10 and verse two, you'll see We'll start looking more into this. And he had a little book in his hand and he set his right foot upon the sea and his left foot upon the land and he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars. What did Revelation 5 five and 6 say? That the lamb has a lion, the roar of the lion of Judah. So this is Jesus. And when he cried out, Seven thunders uttered their voices. And when the seven thunders uttered their voice, I was about to write it, but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me, S- and do not write them. Could the seven thunders have declared what was in the book? The Bible says nothing more about the black book except that The line of Judah, this mighty angel, puts one foot in the sea and one foot on the land with the book over. A lot of men and a lot of people, and I do agree, that this is a time that Jesus steps and reclaims his right to be Lord of the earth. See, the devil is the god of this world for a season. Now, he came in, he took it, he took it away from Adam, and he's able to rule upon the earth until the appointed time that Adam would have made the transition and given it back to God. But Adam did not. Adam sinned. He lost authority upon the earth. The devil gained it. And so when Jesus steps down, what he does is this. He proclaims, time stops. There is no more time. He decrees his omnipotence, his omnipresence. He declares his mightiness and his lordship for all to hear and for all to see. Now at that time where we see something that takes place that we'll look at in just a few moments. But at this time, we realize that Jesus is declaring, in verse 5, "...the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven," What's this, "...and swore by him who lives forever and ever," who created heaven and the things that are in it, the earth and the things that are in it, and the sea and the things that are in it, and there should be delay no longer. In other words, all time stops. Everything is now. Everything is now. Things are set into a new motion now. What is becoming now? What's becoming now is... That the Antichrist is going to move in to the place of the abomination of the desolation of Daniel. That means in Matthew the 24th chapter that it is a place called the Holy of Holies in the tabernacle of David. The tabernacle of David can be erected in one day. It's a tent. It is the tent of the wilderness. Solomon's temple was not David's temple. It was Solomon's temple. David never worshipped in Solomon's temple. David worshipped in the tabernacle of Moses. And so David's tabernacle can be erected in one day, in one day, and begin to offer up sacrifice and begin to reinstill God's relationship with Israel and Israel's relationship with God. But when this happens right here, the Antichrist, according to 2 Thessalonians, you can read it from 1 from 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 1 down through 10 how the devil the son of perdition the beast the false prophet will enter in and declare himself to be God at that time at that time Israel's eyes will be enlightened and they will defy him and that's when the antichrist turns On the woman. The woman is the nation of Israel. This right here is the nation of Israel. She turns, he turns on her and afflicts her. It is the dragon that does so, and she flees into the wilderness. But when she flees into the wilderness, what does she do? She unveils Christ, she gives birth. a revelation of Jesus Christ being the Messiah, the child of God. Now, what takes place also during this time, there's nothing in the black book except what the seven thunders are declaring. We don't know what's in that little black book. I know what's in Phyllis's little black book. All the little monies that she says she thinks I owe her. That's what she... Th- do you have a black book? Phyllis, did you have a record of my owing you? You do? Do you now? Raise your hand, Phyllis. All right, good deal. Uh, let me see. Uh, anytime I get rambunctious or too active about anything, Phyllis just said, well, I'll just write down how many times you, you think you don't get it and how many times you do. you still keep that book? you still keep that book? I burned it. I can tell you where it's at. It's up in the smoke and the ashes. Hallelujah. Praise God. She used to keep a book of how many times I golfed. Then she kept a book of how many times I hunted. Then she kept a book of how many times I fished. No. Phyllis, how many of them are not true? Yeah, I know where I'm going. I'm trying to get you. Do you remember how many times you would keep? Well, you've been golfing four times this week. I'd say, I didn't golf that. She, I got it wrote down. Raise that hand, Phyllis. I knew it. I knew that wasn't coming up. All right. Now, all right. Here's what takes place. And then there are two witnesses. Now, please let me iterate that these 144,000 Jews sealed by God before any of this ever started at the rapture of the church, they are released. There's 144,000 of them. They're not Jehovah Witnesses. They're Israelites. And if only 144,000 go to heaven, the rest of you, uh, what do you call them? Je- yeah, uh, Jehovah Witness? Better find someplace else to go. Ain't no room for you. Now, there's 144,000 sealed. What do they do as soon as they're sealed? That sealed is unveiled. They begin to preach. They're preaching. They're preaching until... These two witnesses come on the scene. Anybody have any idea who the two witnesses are? Who? Elijah and Enoch. The reason that I say Enoch, some believe that it was Elijah because he could shut up the heavens. He stopped water in his judgments. Moses did what? He brought fire in his uh, judgments so what we have a lot of times people think that it's Elijah and Moses but the Bible says it's given unto man once to die not twice once so Enoch has to be killed some way now Moses was killed by God it says that God took him up and just he just died and so Enoch and Elisha, Elijah are the only two that are not recorded as dying. They are the only two. You, some would say, Moses, what, what are you going to do with Enoch? We can't use him as a dartboard. There's nothing but love in heaven. Well, what are we going to do? He has to die. He has to die in order to receive the entirety of the process Of the glorified body. Right? Amen. So now these two live and they preach the gospel. And these men are killed and they are left to lie in the streets for three and a half days. The world mocks them, the world laughs at them. They're celebrating that they're dead. But then something happens. These two witnesses. Are raised from the dead. Not only that, when these two witnesses are raised from the dead, these 144,000 invincible, sealed of God, these 144,000 plus two, 144,002 are resurrected to heaven. The second rapture of the church. Now, that is only for Israel. And then after this time, this is the 144,000 plus the two witnesses are then taken to heaven. And they go through the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because they will be returning with the church at this time. And nobody without purity will be riding with the king. Because he that commits sin is the... And if sin has not been dealt with or any shortcomings, thoughts, whatever could have taken place in our life, if it's not dealt with, there is an entry of the devil. And that will not be allowed in the battle of of Armageddon. It will be those that are robed in white. And that will be us and we'll be riding side by side those 144,000 and those two witnesses. And then at the end of that, this is where we begin, right in the middle of the book of Daniel, but right in the middle of the tribulation, the starting of the great tribulation. These are the seven personages and we'll have to get them to next week. This is the uh, uh, Israel, She is the woman. She is married. God is her husband uh, out of the Old Testament, Jehovah. This is the dragon that afflicts the woman. This is the child that she gives through her travail. And then we'll get to the archangel Michael when we come back.